Welcome to the Medical Association of Georgia's award-winning top doc show. With more than 8,000 members who care for patients in every specialty and practice setting, MAG is the leading voice for physicians in Georgia. Go to mag.org to join MAG if you're a physician in Georgia. And thanks to Alliant Health Solutions for its support as a sponsor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Top Docs. I'm your host and MAG CEO, Donald Pomisano. Today's show is going to address breast cancer care from several important perspectives, including the new screening guidelines and the accessibility of mammograms. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Catherine Zhang, who is a transitional year intern at Northside Hospital Gwinnett. Dr. Zhang, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Well, thank you. And, and let me ask you, uh, Dr. Zhang, so, so you're, uh, you're a resident over at Northside Hospital Gwinnett, and um, we, we do a program with Northside Hospital Gwinnett uh, where you come and work with us for a month. So we've had the opportunity to work together um, over the course of the last month. And as part of uh, your, your training is uh, this show on what your findings were. And so can you give us a little bit of, of your perspective on uh, the residency uh, program that rotation that we have? Oh, it was a great experience. You know, healthcare policy is something I feel that as medical students, we're not really exposed to a lot, but it has huge impacts on the care that we provide, what we are able to do, and, you know, just coverage in general. And so having this experience has really shown me sort of the process of getting a healthcare policy passed, how much it can really impact uh, the care of our patients in Georgia and throughout the entire U.S. as well. And good. And so I'm going to say I've been very impressed um, in, in all the work that you've done this month. So I want to say thank you for that. And, and also to let, I'll let Dr. Harvey know as well. Uh, but you've done a fantastic job. And, and I hope you've, had, you, you've enjoyed the experience of speaking to legislators, talking to different doctors, talking to different radiologists, and, and doing all the background. So, um, so thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah. I've, I've enjoyed it so much. And you know, I can't tell you what an eye-opening experience has been. Well, good. Well, let's let, let's get started. So, so your project uh, was on breast breast cancer risk assessment guidelines. Uh, talking about that, and so what's the latest um, in that area? Uh, so, in the spring of twenty eighteen, the American College of Radiology and the Society for Breast Imaging there was a joint statement that did a lot of things. It was mostly about high risk women and you know the protocols that we do for screening mammograms in them, but. One of the things that they did was they reclassified African-American women as being at high risk for breast cancer. And they really recommended and really emphasized the need for risk assessment screening in African-American women starting at age 30 because of the higher risk. Well, good. And so, so that would lead you to my next question is, why are African-American women at higher risk than other populations? There's a lot of reasons for this. You know, one of the biggest reasons being that African-American women are actually even though they have comparable rates of breast cancer to white women, they are actually at 42% more likely to die from having breast cancer than white women. And there's a lot of reasons for this. It's a topic of hot debate and hot research still, but um, there's a lot of factors that go into play. One of those factors that we know for sure is that um, African-American women, they're twice as likely to have what's called triple negative breast cancer, which is a more aggressive form of breast cancer. Um, metastasizes faster, it needs different treatment protocols, and not only that, it has a higher occurrence rate, it has a higher mortality rate just in and of itself. You know, triple negative breast cancer, it has a something like a 75% five-year survival rate versus 
a normal breast cancer, which has a 90% five-year survival rate. And then another thing is um, black women, they are more likely to have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. And BRCA, it literally stands for the breast cancer gene. And so women who have these genes are much more likely to have breast cancer throughout their lifetime. Wow. And yeah, and you know, just aside from all that, black women, um, African-American women, they, there's social determinants of health that play into this as well. Um, black women are more likely to be underinsured or uninsured, and so they're less likely to get the preventive health care that they need and get the screening mammograms on time to catch cancers earlier. Well, I know that uh, it, it, we do a lot of work with the Physicians Foundation. In fact, we, we have a board seat on there, and, and um, we, this has been a topic um, that has been one of their strategic priorities, has been talking about the social determinants of health and the impact mm -hmm. On, uh, on patients. So you are seeing that then in, in, um, in, as a result of your research as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, good. So let me ask you, uh, why is breast cancer risk, risk assessment important for younger women? Um, the biggest reason that we want to do risk assessment screening in young women is that we want to catch a breast cancer while it's still in its earlier stages, where it's more easily treatable, it's more likely to go into remission. Um, you know, if you catch a cancer in stage zero versus stage five, those are, or I guess stage four, those are completely different outcomes. And so the purpose of risk assessment is to start asking those questions and determine if a woman is at higher risk for breast cancer. And if she is, meaning, you know, um, a, a woman at average risk of breast cancer, that's, she has a one in eight chance of getting breast cancer throughout her lifetime versus a woman at higher risk, which is at least a one in a five percent or one in five women who are at high risk will get breast cancer in their lifetimes. And so we want to be able to identify these individuals younger and get them on a higher risk screening protocol. So if they do get cancer, we can find it earlier and treat it when it's still able to go into remission. Well, I'll tell you, I know that um, there've been a lot of challenges associated with electronic medical records, um, but I can tell you mm -hmm. one of the positives is to have that information in there. Because, uh, you know, I, I know just in my, my own family, when I, I have to go back and ask my family members, hey, what, you know, what, what, what is our genetic history and all of that? And what kind of things should we be worried about? And it's like, every time I ask the question, I get something new. So hopefully all this is getting documented so that when my kids uh, you know, get, get to that point where they're having their annual checkups and what have you, and as they get older, this information's already in there. Uh, because oh, I know yeah. relying on my own family has, has not been um, a very, uh, you know, it, it's been an eye-opening experience on my end, I can tell you that. Oh yeah, you know, you ask patients like, oh, did you like, do you have any family history of cancer? And they're like, oh yeah, my dad had blood cancer. And you're like, oh, what kind of blood cancer? And they're like, mm -hmm, blood cancer. Right, right. Uh, well, let me ask you, uh, to what extent are referring physicians following the new guidelines? You know, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of providers and it's been really eye-opening. And the short answer is they're not necessarily sitting down doing these formal risk assessment screenings. You know, and that's not to say they're not asking about family history of cancer, because they absolutely are. But not, you know, I would have to say to a large degree, they're not really doing these formal risk assessment screenings. Well, how do you get physicians to, or, or physicians and other providers to do, be more aware of the guidelines and to, and to do that? Um, you know, not surprisingly, physicians, they tend to follow their own specialties, society's recommendations and guidelines and leaks. And so having... Um, the referring providers having their societies come out with joint statements or links or continuing education things like, you know, the American Academy of Family Physicians or the American College of OBGYN, having them come out with stuff like that, that educates their own specialists so they can 
be more educated in this and actually learn about this. Another thing we do is have radiologists within their own healthcare systems, have them give talks to their referring provider pools. And even something as simple as having a hospital set up CME where physicians can get credit from learning more about it. Yeah, it's 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 been it's been it's been fascinating to watch the the development of guidelines um, probably over the last 15, 20 years where, um, you know, initially uh, physicians were reticent with guidelines because a lot of the payers were using them as payment guidelines instead oh, yeah. of treatment guidelines in the sense of, hey, this is some recommended treatment. This is what we're seeing in the majority of the population and what have you. But um, it, it was almost like it was co-opted at one point in time by the payers who still use it in that sense to say, well, if you don't do it this way, then you're just not going to get paid. And so it becomes more of a payment guideline. So I think sometimes that's where you see the rub with a lot of physicians is, well, hey, I've got my experience and yes, I'm following the guidelines. I generally, I know them. But what I'm seeing in this particular patient because of my relationship with them is why I'm going to treat them this way. And that's been the arguments that we've heard at our different meetings and, and what have you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's like one thing I really want to be careful about when talking about this, because I don't want to have this lead towards making this a payment thing. I want this to be more of a, I guess, quality guideline, but unfortunately insurers, they do tend to link those things with payment and they love to do just deny claims whenever possible. So exactly. that's a tricky <laughs> subject. <laughs> well, tell me, what are some of the biggest barriers we need to address to increase the breast cancer risk assessment screening rate? Um, you know, the first thing we need to do is we need to get physicians to ask that preliminary question, like, do you have a family history of breast cancer or ovarian cancer? And that can trigger the formal risk assessment. And a lot of physicians, they're not necessarily comfortable or they may not even know about what risk assessment tools to use. So things like the Tyrakusic model or the Gale model, they may not have even heard about. So increasing awareness about that and increasing training and that would help a lot. And because you know, physicians aren't necessarily comfortable with these things, they may tend to refer to genetic counselors, which is great, but that in itself, it prints another barrier to those patients. You know, it's another appointment, it's another concern about insurance, it's a concern like, what if I find something that I don't want to necessarily know about myself? Well, let me ask you, um, when it comes to insurance payments, um, do they generally cover mammograms for women who are less than 40 years old? Um, they do, as long as the woman is documented to have a greater than 20% lifetime risk. And that's a general question. I can't say that across the board. You know, the ACA in 2010 came out and mandated that women have their screening mammograms covered from age 40s and up without copay. But I don't think that necessarily applies to women who are less than 40 who are at higher risk. You know, they may still have a copay with their mammograms. And insurances can dictate like what screening method they get. So do they get an MRI versus tomosynthesis versus ultrasound versus just a traditional mammogram? Okay. And it, yeah, and that's, it's, 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 so they, gen, women, I'm sorry. So in order to get the mammogram paid for, there has to be a family history to some extent or, or else they're not going to get it paid for. Um, not necessarily. They just have to have okay. a documented risk. So okay. if a physician were to sit down, they did like they went through the Tyracusic model, and the Tyracusic model told them, "Oh, they have, this woman has a greater than twenty percent risk of cancer." You can document that in the medical record, and then send it to the insurance company to get the prior authorization for the mammograms. But then the insurance company can turn around and say, "Well, we're only going to cover ultrasound for this." Well, let me ask you about that twenty percent. Can you address the unique challenges that women? whose odds of getting breast cancer is greater than 20% face 
when it comes to screening? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we just talk about insurances. They typically do cover some type of method for screening mammograms in those women. But a population that we don't talk about often enough, I think, is the uninsured or underinsured woman. And, you know, in the population I'm talking about, younger women, African-American women, these are the exact populations that tend to be uninsured or underinsured. And so even that, they don't necessarily get the preventive healthcare visits that they need, and they may not have their higher risk detected. And even if they do get those preventive healthcare visits, that higher risk they're probably going to pay for that mammogram out of pocket. And that provides huge like financial burdens, big financial barriers for them. And there's financial assistance programs out there, but even that you have to apply for, you have to be eligible for, and you know, they may not get it at all. And actually in Lacey's Law, which was recently passed, I'm sorry, I meant to mention this earlier, Lacey's Law was passed by the Georgia State Legislature this year actually. And it covers um, state employees um, they have a health insurance and it mandates that they get screening mammograms covered for women who are at higher than 20% risk starting age 30. But, you know, for women who aren't state employees, unfortunately, it doesn't help too much. Right. And then there's a program that's administered by the Georgia Department of Public Health. It's called the Georgia um, Breast and Cervical Cancer Program. And that covers screening mammograms for free for women, but that's only for women ages 40 to 64. So it doesn't really cover the population that is in need of earlier intervention. Okay. Okay. So, so um, you had, as part of the rotation, you had some opportunity to speak to some lawmakers and, and get their perspectives on the legislative process, but, um, and also some of the challenges, uh, you know, how, how law is made in terms of um, there's a lot of compromise that's needed, things like that. What can lawmakers do to make mammograms more accessible? Yeah, lawmakers play a huge role in this. Like what you're talking about, the ACA, when it came out in 2010, and mandated mammogram coverage for women over 40. And then the Georgia State Legislature with Lacey's Law, it mandates coverage for high-risk women who are 30 and up. And so what we could really work on with lawmakers is having them expand programs like the Georgia Breast and Cervical Cancer Program, you know, that only covers women from ages 40 to 64. If we could expand that to cover women who are over 30 who are talking at a high risk, that would go a long way as well. Um, another thing that we could do is just expanding Medicaid. I was taking a look at some Medicaid plans, and it seems for the most part that they start doing mammogram coverage for women over the age of 35, but not necessarily for high-risk women who are younger than that. And so having expansions in Medicaid for that would be a great help. Okay. And so obviously COVID-19 has, has disrupted, um, you know, uh, life for everyone. Um, how has COVID-19 affected breast cancer screening? It's affected a lot. You know, throughout, across the board, preventive healthcare visits have dropped, and that certainly includes screening mammograms. And so, you know, there's been studies that show as much as a 99% drop in screening mammograms, and that's very understandable. No one wants to visit a doctor or a hospital right now. But, you know, over time, this is going to create problems down the road. We're going to have this massive backlog of women who need their screening mammograms after COVID passes, maybe in the upcoming months, and there's going to create delayed care and create delayed diagnoses. And unfortunately for some of these women, we're going to catch cancers later than we could have earlier. And that's going to lead to worse morbidity. Maybe they're going to need more intensive treatment and ultimately it's going to lead to increased mortality for these women. Okay. So what can the average person um, or community do to increase breast cancer screening? Um, so for 
I want to advocate for patients to really know themselves, know their right. family history, and bring up those concerns to their providers when they see them during routine health visits. You know, one thing is they could also just talk about this with their own communities, you know, really encourage their family, their circle to get out there, see their doctors, bring up their concerns and their family history, their doctors. Because, you know, even though we have this anymore, it's a great reminder for us that, oh, we should probably be asking more questions and investigating these more. And another thing is, you know, just in community centers, churches, the YMCA, the gym, even just having flyers and posters up emphasizing the fact that early detection of cancer absolutely saves lives on the road. Well, good. Well, good. Well, let me ask you, can you suggest any good resources uh, uh, for physicians or patients? Oh, yeah. So for physicians, there's the Gale model and the Tarakusic model, both of which are great risk assessment screening tools. They're both available online for free, and they're really quick and easy to use. You just plug in the data points they ask for, and it spits out your lifetime risk, and you can go from there. And actually, the Gale model, it's on MDCalc, which is an app that most physicians have on their phones, so it's as simple as looking out your phone and doing it. Um, in the confusion.org, they have a great, and this is a website that's sponsored by the Society of Breast Imagers, they have some great physician resources, like they have posters and pamphlets you can put on your waiting room that emphasize, you know, getting early detection, doing these mammograms, and how helpful it is in saving lives. And then for patients, um, Susan G. Komen, I know it's kind of a, um, I guess, controversial topic in breast cancer, but it has great patient resources. It has a page breaking down the different high-risk classifications for women. So like what this mutation means versus this mutation versus like just a family history. And it breaks down like the screening protocols for it. Like do you do it every six months, every 12 months? When should you do it? And what type of screening you get? And also kind of talks about the process of getting MRIs versus mammograms. So it can go a long way in easing a patient's mind if they do have to get that. Um, Georgia Core, which is the Center for Oncology yep. and Research Education. They have um, this really great website with affiliate links and financial assistance for patients who may need help obtaining screening mammograms and paying for that. And, you know, for women who are less than 40, unfortunately, there's not that many resources out there. You know, the Georgia Breast and Cancer Cervical Program it doesn't cover them. But a lot of local hospitals will have financial assistance and, like, funds that can cover mammograms for these women. Well, good. Well, good. Well, let me ask you, do you have any final thoughts or key takeaway messages for our audience? Yeah, you know, I really just want to emphasize how much early detection saves lives and the, how risk assessments can identify women who are at greater risk for breast cancer and who need to be screened earlier and more often so that we can detect these cancers earlier when they're treatable. Um, you know, breast cancer, there's an estimated greater than a quarter million new cases in the U.S. this year alone, and it's the second leading cause of cancer deaths in women. And actually in Georgia, it is the leading cause of cancer deaths in African-American women. And so really getting into this population, doing these risk assessments, it's going to save lives. Well, good. Well, Dr. Zhang, that was excellent. I want to say thank you uh, for, for that, for the information, but also the presentation. So you did fantastic. I, I really enjoyed working with you over the course of this last month. And um, I'm, I'm glad uh, to see the, 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 come to, uh, the project come to fruition after uh, you've had the chance to speak to all the different physicians, the legislators, and what have you. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Noah. I had a great time working with you. I really enjoyed this process. Well, good. Well, thank you. I'd also like to thank and applaud uh, the rest of our tireless and heroic physicians and allied healthcare professionals and staff for everything they're doing every day. From everybody at MAG, thanks for watching, 
and we'll catch up with you on the next Top Docs. Thanks for watching this episode of Top Docs. Please share this program with your colleagues and family and friends. Remember to follow Mag on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget, you can get past episodes of the show at mag.org backslash top docs. From everybody at Mag, we look forward to catching up with you on our next episode of Top Docs.